thank you so much for listening to Exactly with me, Florence Given. I'm Floss and I'm so happy that you're here with me today. I really believe that we need spaces where we can talk about complex issues with nuance and the grey area that we all exist in in life. And now more than ever, a lot more empathy is required to have these discussions. And I think that the best place for these conversations to happen is outside of social media where human beings can talk with one another. That's so important to me and it's one of the main reasons why I started the show. And in my podcast, we're going to be exploring five big topics sex, feminism, body image, social media, and relationships from multiple different angles. And today we're on part three of social media, and I'm talking about the impact of social media on our mental health with my amazing guest, Larissa May. At the end of the episode, I'll be answering the questions that you've sent in via our podcast WhatsApp number at plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So my guest and I today are both part of the first generation to grow up with social media. We didn't experience life before smartphones. And I think to some people that might sound absolutely wild. But to me, that is my life. I can't imagine not having my phone constantly about my person. Social media at its best is a force for incredible positive change in the world. And on the podcast, we've heard from Leila Saad and Amica George, who've both funded these incredible movements online that have actually changed people's minds, lives. And in Amica's case, she's changed an actual law. But it is becoming increasingly urgent that we don't ignore the dark side of social media too, because it is such a big part of our lives now. We can't ignore that there is a detrimental effect that it's having on our lives. From social media addiction, the rise in mental health issues in young people, the spread of misinformation, and what's being called the attention economy, which is how platforms try to keep us hooked by any means possible at whatever cost, usually to pay their sponsors. I love social media as a tool for connection, and I've personally changed the way that I use Instagram, specifically over the last year or so. I think it was during the pandemic, I just shifted how I use social media. Um, I think I used to use it out of the sense of obligation and when you use something out of an obligation you begin to resent it and I didn't want to resent this gorgeous tool which can be used to create beautiful things and I think it is how you use it and the intention that you have behind engaging with these social media platforms that create your experience with it and you have the control you have the control with the accounts that you interact with. And that's what I'm really excited to talk about with my guest today, Lars, about all of this stuff and how we can more intentionally consume social media. And just like my previous guests, Leila and Amica, Lars has founded a grassroots movement online from her bedroom door. But there is a twist. 
It's an online movement to specifically tackle some of these issues and to empower the next generation's relationship with social media. Lars has also founded the Global Day of Unplugging. It's an internationally recognized day every August that encourages divesting from technology to plug back into life. It's essentially mindfulness in the world of digital well-being. And now it's her mission to empower young people to engage in technology with intention, connection, and to fight for a brighter future. I'm really excited to talk to her today. Okay, Lars, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Me too. So before we get into it, I'm going to be asking you my five quick fire questions that I ask all of my guests. Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Perfect. Okay. Question number one. What's one thing that sets your soul on fire? Pugs. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, next question. If you could wear one outfit for the rest of your life and it would be a look that would define you forever, what would that outfit be? Flowered denim pants and Ooh. a crop top with a vintage leather jacket from the 1970s and big earrings. Oh, nice. I'm trying to imagine floral printed <laughs> denim jeans. They, they sound amazing. I think embroidered, embro embroidered, you know. Gorgeous. <laughs> okay, next question. What's something that people frequently misunderstand or get wrong about you? Well, people that don't know that I struggle with depression think that I'm always like this. Ray of sunshine constantly. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes the brightest lights have the darkest nights, so. Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, next question. Uh, finish the sentence. I'm still a work in progress when it comes to? Cleaning my room, keeping things neat. Uh-huh. What do you find motivates you to clean your room? Well... I do this thing where I put on music and I pretend like I'm in a movie or a musical and I turn it into a game. And so sometimes I'll yeah. put on like an outfit and high heels and I'm like, I'm going to do this. And I pretend that I'm in a movie <laughs> to oh add God. some theatrical elements. Yes. I always find having people coming over motivates me to clean oh, yeah. my room. <laughs> yeah. Or a really, really strong latte. Yes. Gorgeous. Okay. Last question of the quick five. Uh, when was the last time you majorly cringed at yourself? Oh, geez. I would have to say I cringe looking at some of my first TikTok videos that I made in the pandemic. I'm like, I yes. am so cringe. I don't even, <laughs> but I won't delete them because it's just not in my nature or my ethos. But Good I'm just like, you. what was I doing? Like, this is so mm. embarrassing. Okay, so Lars, please tell me more about your incredible project, Half the Story. What inspired you to start it? I started Half the Story six and a half years ago out of my college dorm room at the darkest period of my life. I had experienced both the positive sides of social media, which was at that point building a following, having a fashion blog, doing all sorts of things that looked luxurious on social media, but I also experienced the flip side of that. I was struggling yeah. with depression, social isolation, so many of the things that young people are dealing with today to the point where I lost everything and I was in my college dorm room. The only thing that I had was my social media identity and my audience and my depression that I was sitting with. You know, after almost losing my life to depression, I had to reevaluate all the things that I was consuming, uh, technology being one of them. And at that point, I had this light bulb moment that 
technology was going to be a tool for our future or it was going to be a weapon. And I could either be a part of the solution or I could be a part of the problem. So I made it my mission uh, to create half the story and share the other side of my authentic real life that I was really dealing with with my followers. And I shut down my fashion blog and everything. And then instead reinvested my energy into building a nonprofit that would help give the next generation the tools that they needed to thrive in the digital world and empower them to help take their relationships back. And so that's what I've spent the last six and a half years doing. And you know, we have advocacy, our Global Day of Unplugging arm, but we also um, offer programming for teens, both support groups for teens who've been negatively impacted by social media, in addition to Social Media U, which is our program uh, that is a digital reset that allows teens to really identify how social media is impacting them to develop habits and ultimately gain the tools to thrive both online and offline. That's amazing. I feel like this is very full circle vibes. Like you went through something horrific and just even the description of you being sat in your uni dorm, it's really sad. And yet I relate to that feeling of having thousands of people who know you and none of them really knowing you at all and not saying what's actually going on in your life. It's very confusing that the one place built uh, supposedly for connection can actually breed loneliness. Can you talk a little bit about how loneliness and social media are linked? Absolutely. Well, we're living in the most in the most connected era that humans have ever faced. Yet so many of us are isolated. And I think there's a big misunderstanding between connection and connecting. So many of us spend more than eight hours a day connecting to these ideas, these realities that don't exactly exist, that we spend our lives chasing them. And connecting oftentimes gets in the way with all of the things that we need to be a human, like human connection, moving our bodies, taking care of our mental health and physical health. And so, you know, the more that you isolate yourself from the things that you need and people in the real world, the more isolated that you can be. And that's the great paradox that we're all living in. Okay, so what would you say the difference is then for anyone listening between connecting and connection? I say that connection is the ability to feel and to feel emotionally connected to someone and feel supported through a real human relationship. And then there's connecting. And I always say connecting is the thing that starts in your mind. So connection is the heart and connecting is the mind. Okay. And it's the thing that tricks you and makes you feel like you are connecting because you're on social media or you're watching this movie. And it's a way that a lot of us distract our own thoughts and emotions. And so the next time you get on social media, ask yourself when you leave or when you enter, am I here to connect and have a real connection? Or am I here just for connecting online and in a mindless way? And I think you really have to decide what that intention is in those difference in that difference because it will make a huge difference in the way that you feel when you walk away. Mm. That 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 difference reminds me a lot of what Brené Brown says about belonging and fitting in. They're two completely different things. Yes. So like belonging yeah. is a sense of feeling like you don't have to change yourself within a group of people. That's a sense of belonging, but yeah. fitting in might mean changing who you are to fit into that place. Would you say that connecting and and logging it's just like plugging in? as opposed to like like the act of going online to feel connected mm-hmm. to people 
is it like some kind yeah. of watered down version that actually stops us from making the real connection? First and foremost, we're living in this world where it's either black or white, right? And social media is either good or bad, right? But at the end of the day, we don't believe in full digital abstinence because it doesn't work for sex and it doesn't work for <laughs> social media. But when you think about connecting and connection, the way that you engage with technology is really driven by your intention because thoughts create actions which create experiences and lead to the way that you mm. feel and emotions. And so for us, you know, there are both active and passive ways to consume online. Yes. An active form and not all technology is created equal and not all technology use is equal. So let me give you an example. Active technology use is when you have a very clear purpose and intention for why you're using technology. Okay. Are you here to connect? Are you here to create? Or are you here to engage and consume, whether it be music or mindfulness and meditations? If you have an intention for why you go online, nine times out of 10, you're going to feel okay. And I think it's important to highlight that. However, on the flip side, so many of us don't have intentions when we pick up this yes. thing. We pick it up because it's between meetings or maybe because we're feeling depressed or lonely. And this thing gets in the way of what we're feeling in here and what's in the real world that can actually bring us joy and get us back in touch with ourselves. And so where you get into that really challenging space is when you don't have an intention, that's when you fall into the doom scrolling and, you know, the holes of the internet world where you leave and you're like, I feel like shit. I'm yeah. not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. But if you can kind of create that intention going in, you can leave feeling much better. It is that connecting and connection thing that you're talking about. It has the possibility to be beautiful. I've met some of my best friends through social media. And I think for me, it yeah. did help me find my community. But also there's a lot more to kind of wade through, I feel, because maybe not everyone has the best intentions or people aren't who they say they are. And there's all of this other stuff in between because we, we do project our best selves online also. Right. And I always say, what are you doing is just kind of hitting the surface, right? Like, being on your phone too much, doing all these things, surface, 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 right? But getting to the root of it is the why. Like, why are you doing this? If we want to come to social media and have a positive relationship with it and an active experience, it comes through the lens of empowerment yes. to your point. So if you're coming to this with, with the same action, but a completely different emotional entry point, which is through the lens of insecurity or feeling lonely because you are seeking validation through this social network, oftentimes you're going to leave feeling less than because at the end of the day, seeking validation through social media networks is a very, very short-sighted way to look at self-empowerment. And unfortunately, what I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. It's like, what's the end game? What's the end game to likes, to followers? What's mm. the end game to constantly getting in this route of, this rut of trying to look a certain way and live up to these expectations, then we just get into this wheel chasing this life in this reality that doesn't exist. That re reality might be the way that you look. That reality might be, you know, trying to get false validation by other individuals, significant others. But at the end of the day, this thing is not going to replace our own self-assurance. And I think we just have to remember that. Like the digital world is challenging. Young people growing up in it have a harder and harder time 
even figuring out what their own identity is because this is super complicated and we need to just silence the noise and get connected to ourselves. So you said you've been thinking a lot about what is the end game here with likes and with all this validation. Would you say it has anything to do with, you know, as long as we're engaging with these social media platforms that like companies can make their money, the sponsors, like, have you landed on any idea while you've been like meditating on that? Yeah, I think the reason I've been meditating on it is because even though the social media networks are shifting, there's still this this behavior, right? So on Instagram, you remember the era of perfect avocado toast. Mm. That was six and a half years ago, which was when I started half the story. That Those days are over. And now it's about being very raw and real. But if you go to TikTok now, One of the things that's blowing my mind is that we've gone from this perfectionist culture to a shock culture and people are doing things for shock value. And it's a completely different way in. But for for some individuals, instead of having this super perfectionism, they're almost doing this super self-deprecation or this super like self-exposure and performative authenticity as a way to get engagement. And when we think about what that end game is, I think the challenging part and why I think about that end game is because I spend 90% of my time working with teens to help understand why they have negative relationships with technology and giving them the tools to improve them. Yeah. And the scary part about this is that, you know, nine times out of 10, most teens feel like they can't name more than two or three friends that they can actually go to for something that they're going through. And we're living in a time, in a world where this next generation quite literally does not know how to form social relationships because it is more comfortable to pick up a phone in a conversation. Like I'm sitting in front of a hundred papers where kids are writing, you know, just getting feedback from them. And they're like, you know, I wish I, I didn't, I wish I didn't, we all didn't sit in group and pick up our phones. I mean, I went to a high school campus last week and it took me 12 minutes. And this was at the beginning of the day to before I could see two kids looking eye to eye and speaking. 12 minutes of actively looking around at tables and benches. And that's what scares me because we have started to prioritize the way that we look on this, Mm -hmm. the way that people perceive us on this, and also the way that we feel on this, that we're missing out on this. Like you, me, eye to eye, person to person, emotional support and empowerment. Would you say we're becoming then, because you're talking a lot about uh, young kids not having friends that they can turn to for advice in real life and to cry to, to be vulnerable. And yet we're seeing more people be vulnerable online as though their followers or their communities are their person to rely on. I think we're finding maybe vulnerability to be be a bit more awkward in real life because we're so used to doing it online. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things. So one is, and this is a super, super fascinating term that I learned from a teen last week. And it's basically, it's called, have you heard of sad fishing? No, but I I think from what you're saying, it's, it sounds like maybe victimhood being used as currency on social media. Yes. So there's a couple of trends that we're seeing. So one is sad fishing, which is sort of, I guess, like the easier way to describe it is like this performative realness without actually creating action. So people that are sometimes posting things online to get arousal, but then they'll delete them or they'll do Snapchats that are like, I'm so depressed. But then the conversation ends there. So they get this digital attention and they're not taking the conversation into real life. Mm. The other thing that we're seeing is that 
with teens specifically, a lot of them say that they feel very comfortable participating in trends, talking about depression and things in the digital ecosystem, but they quite literally cannot talk to their best friend or their family about it in order to get help. And that's why I think it's really tricky. I mean, even in the past few years, Grant, with COVID and even seeing a lot of digital stars die by suicide, so many people were so confused because they were so surrounded by community, but they had no one in their real life. And I think we see that on like a grand level and we see these tragedies happen for these digital icons. But what we sometimes forget is that that same tragedy is happening on a very local level, even if a teen is not experiencing millions of followers. It's just, you know, that sort of that sort of loneliness is plaguing humanity. And more teens are used to being lonely than they are to being connected with friends and having support. And that's a thing that really terrifies me. That is terrifying. What would you say then if if we're, if we're going to have to learn to just live with this new inbuilt part of connecting with other people through the internet? How would you say we can create a healthier relationship um, so that we can form connections in real life? Well, that's really what I guess we've dedicated our lives to it, half the story. Yeah. We are at a point in our world and society where we can't just sit back and point fingers and be like, social media sucks. Everyone's going to die. The platforms are making a ton of money off us. Mm. Nothing's going to happen. Like, so many of these teens are even just overwhelmed by misinformation as well as like how to navigate all the crises within the digital ecosystem. And so, you know, at half the story, before we even get into the what, we have to get to the why. And so first, you know, in in sort of our our three steps and understanding, you know, how do we actually change habit? It starts with yourself. So one, identifying and understanding your emotional relationship to technology, how this thing impacts your overall emotional well-being, which is your physical well-being, your social well-being, your sexual well-being, all of those sorts of things. So it starts with just identifying your emotions. Mm -hmm. From there, it's, you know, understanding like what is your intention or purpose or goal? And is technology getting in the way of that or is technology improving that? And then it's really getting into habit building. It takes, you know, over six weeks to actually build habits in your life. And for us, you know, and our work at Half the Story, when we work with teens through our digital reset, we help them identify the changes that they want to make and set tangible goals to reach them. And it starts with the intention, which is, you know, how do we have a better relationship with tech? And that can even be just like, hey, I want to have more fun on social media. I want to create, like, I want to share this part, my art with the world. And that's a really positive way to do it. Um, Another way to think about, you know, how do we change our habits is like, what are the small things that I can do in my life? Like for me, for example, on weekends, I do this thing called going light where I literally put down, I don't use my smartphone and I have this dumb phone, which only has texting. Right. And, and, and it's a way for me to completely disconnect. Like that's one habit I've incorporated in my life. The other is, you know, typically instead of keeping a phone next to my desk or next to my virtual school, having some sort of notebook that whenever I have that urge to go on technology to instead journal about those feelings so that I can then redirect those thoughts to do something else. Right. And then, you know, another example of that is, you know, how do we actually like manipulate our technology Mm -hmm. so that we can be in control. And there's this amazing feature called Grayscale that we empower a lot of the teens to use, which basically zaps all of the color out of your phone. So you're looking at a black and white screen. Wow. And so it's less engaging. 
Oh, way less yeah. engaging. So your screen goes into like black, white, and gray, and it's like looking at an old school photo. And, you know, you can, because tech was designed to hook us, we have to figure out how do we take our brains away from being manipulated and, you know, kind of teaching teens some of these tools to incorporate that in their life. But then lastly, it's just like, how do we teach teens to engage in really human conversations? And how do we teach them to have conversations about emotions and how to express themselves? Mm. Um, which, you know, is a big part of this work too. You can't look at just the tech habits. You know, the the root of it is that a lot of them don't feel connected to others without using these platforms. And so we want to give them the tools to be able to do that. So those are just kind of some of, you know, some of the ways that we do it. But I guess like zooming out again, it's like your emotional relationship to technology, defining your intentions, mm. incorporating habits, and then having a radical change through social interactions and redefining who you are outside of your phone. Those were all such incredible points. I love what you said about your your little like burner phone that you take out on the weekends. It sounds amazing and I definitely want to have a go at trying that. But I think the common theme I picked up from every, all of the habits that you were saying is that you're trying to reclaim and redirect your attention in what's now called the attention economy, right? Like which our attention yes. is constantly being grabbed from mm -hmm. every different sources because our attention is actually currency now. How long we spend on a video, how long we spend on a post. And what you were saying at the end there, about, you know, we can't just blame it on big tech. Yep. And I think that's really, really, really important because yes, we can also acknowledge just like any system that's royally screwing a group of people over, you can acknowledge that it's there and also allow yourself to see that there are ways that you can uh, either manage or combat it in your own little ways. And that does not mean writing a whole book to change the system. That does not mean starting yep. a campaign. It can be in little small rebellions, like leaving your phone in the kitchen at night instead of in your bedroom so you don't pick it up yeah. in the morning. It can be going to drink a glass of water instead of scrolling on Instagram. It can be all of these little things that help you reclaim your attention. And I never thought about it in a way that like actually choosing to not engage with social media could be such a little like naughty little thing to yeah. do. <laughs> no, it, exactly. And I think you're spot on, right? Like small steps lead to radical change. And we live in this world and this society also where, look, and I think you, you and I, and I'm curious about your thoughts, like, yes, we are contributing to the solutions, but sometimes we also, I personally feel like I can sometimes feel like I'm contributing to the problem by creating this idea that you have to go change the world by the age of 27, mm. right? And like, I think, you know, what what I've also seen with a lot of young people is that especially with the rise of all these young activists and these young entrepreneurs, there's even more pressure to kind of have their life figured out at a young age. And so many of them are feeling more hopeless. And at the end of the day, like, I'll be the first to admit, I'm still a work in progress. Mm, like, I'm still course. figuring it out besides cleaning my room, besides, you know, navigating mental health. Um, and, and I think we just need to give, especially at this time in our world, we need to lean into empowerment, small changes yeah. that can change the world. Yeah. Because if we all just do one small thing, you know, there, a lot can happen. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm all for building community. It's the reason I yeah. started the podcast. It's the reason I love doing the listener call-ins. I love bringing people into every single thing I do because there's no point yes. in doing something or making something a success if you can't share it with other people, in my opinion. And I'm wondering if you think that social media has warped our sense of who is and who isn't our friends because of the almost like over familiarity and in the same time also reduced our empathy because we're now experiencing people through screens. It's really confusing. Yes, I think it has warped our sense of community in a lot of ways, like prioritizing the types of things that communities offer, right? Communities aren't just likes and affirmations or even fundraising, right? Like communities are active support systems to help people be empowered in the world. And I think that that's how I viewed offline communities, like whether it would be a group of friends or a creative community or an entrepreneurial community, all those people in my life have helped me get to where I am today. But sometimes online, it can be really challenging and feel much more transactional of like, oh, well, this person posts this thing for this advocacy campaign. Like we've moved from connection to transaction, right? And I think we need to get back more into that space because that's where the magic happens. Like the sparks can happen online, but the magic happens in reality. And we need to have more of that magic, especially as we re-enter the world after the last two years of real isolation. That word transaction is like the word that has just been on the tip of my tongue that I couldn't think of this whole episode. That's it. Relationships have become so much more transactional, especially because you can quite literally monitor the transactions based on likes, follows, reposts, shares, all of that crap. Like you can literally, it is transactional. That's so true. Sad, but true. Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, I do believe that humans inherently have always been driven by the same things, right? There's always social comparison. There's always sort of this desire to keep up with the Jones and Mm. and sort of be with, you know, the next hierarchy of society, right? Like humans have always been driven by that. I think the thing with social media that's so fascinating is that it amplifies all of these human conditions and drives. And a lot of these things are, you know, it's in our natural ability as humans to try to stand out or to, you know, be the loudest in a room, not everyone, right? But if you have an idea to push it forward and social media creates that, like the divisions are greater, the amplification is greater and, you know, the positives and negatives of amplifying these different things, you know, are both equally as strong, but social media strengthens them. So I think we have to just make a more active effort to, you know, how do we pull up voices that aren't heard? How do we create awareness for more causes? How do we move from just advocacy to action? Um, And that's, you know, I really believe, and I hope that we are going to see this radical shift in humanity because of what we've been through in the last two years, especially now seeing what's happening in Ukraine. I mean, it's just, There has to be a shift Mm. at some point, you know, to really get back more relational relationships than transactional. 
So I actually now would like to move on to uh, the listener questions. So my audience have sent in some questions. Can you give me a hand answering them? Oh, of course. Uh, Okay, first question here. After years of comparing myself to what I see on social media, how do I stop judging myself against others? Are there any tips that you have? Oh, body image in social media is really one of the top issues that we see for everyone. And I think if you're someone that's really struggling with your own self-worth, there are a number of exercises that you can do to help with rewiring the way that you really see yourself. And so first and foremost, I think one thing that I've done in my own life is really especially in my lowest points, is I would start my day, I would make a list of five affirmations and I would stand in the mirror and I would say them to myself. Like, you are beautiful, Mm. you are powerful, you know, you are more than social media, just to kind of like actually start your day through that sense of empowerment, right? And continuing to do that So because if you do that over time, you will start to believe these things that you're telling yourself. But as it relates to social media, I mean, that plays a big role in it. First and foremost, go do a digital detox and go through your platform and unfollow every person that makes you feel like shit or mute them if you know them and you don't want them to see. Yes. And then the Mm. third thing, you know, is really, you know, how can you, and a lot of times we seek affirmations online because there's parts of us that are lost or aren't feeling secure. Find that thing that makes you you and, and try to replace that time on social media with the thing that really lights you up, whether it's journaling or baking or the thing that makes you feel worthy. Because sitting on the social media platforms makes all of us feel like shit after a while. Like I, if I don't have an intention, like I said, I'll leave and I'll be like, oh my God, like how do these girls look like this? And I'm like, well, I'm not working out 12 hours a day. I'm working 12 hours a day. Uh Um, (laughs) So you got to like cut out the things that don't work for you and set boundaries in addition to doing the work offline. Okay. Amazing answer. The next question is, uh, how can I grow my following and still be authentic? Yeah. I'm going to start this one off. Okay, so the reason I've been able to stay sane with such a fastly rapid growing following that I'd built very quickly over the last few years um, is that I don't lie to myself online or offline about who I am. And you've said here, how can I grow my following and still be authentic? That kind of implies that you need to be inauthentic to grow a following. Mm. And you do not. It's actually the opposite. Um, The the more yourself you are, the more kind of cringy you are, um, the more your people will find you. You're like a super attractor. When you're super aligned with yourself, you become this fucking magnet for all the things that are meant for you and for all the people that are meant for you. Now that doesn't have to be a legion of a hundred thousand people. You don't have to be, I think Elizabeth Gilbert calls it, Elizabeth Gilbert calls it being a jackhammer. Uh, there are these jackhammers that we have with the people who are loud, like myself. I'm I'm loud, I'm passionate, and I like to make big statements. And <laughs> We like to be fires. And, yes, I, yes, right? I like to be heard. And then there are people who are um, a lot quieter, but their work is still important. It's the conversations you have around your dinner table. It's the small little habits that we were talking about earlier, Lars, and all of this kind of stuff. So you don't need to be inauthentic to grow a following. Now you have to think about the intention behind growing a following. I never set out to grow a following. I set out to change the world for women. And what that looked like for me, Florence Given as an individual, was to get women to see that they deserve more. Following my mission and this this like this supercharged thing I had inside of me to like turn the wisdom I'd learned over the years into teachable things for other women. That's what 
attracted women like me to me. I didn't have to lie. I didn't have to be inauthentic. I didn't have to be anything but myself. And my other tip for being authentic online is not posting and pretending to be happy when you're not. Because when you do that, you just create a further divide Mm. of that depression within yourself of like, oh my God, I'm not even, not only am I not living up to all of these beautiful women on Instagram, I can't even live up to this image I've created online of me. That's supposed to be me. And that can become even more like yeah just more isolated because you're not only isolated you're isolated from the person that you are right and I think those are fantastic points like you just have to live your truth and when you can inspire other people to live their truth through the content you're putting out in the world that's how you build real relationships yeah okay next question how to stop fearing the opinions of people that I know in real life it's one of my biggest blocks there's so many ways to to untangle this. I think that yeah. <laughs> especially based on where you're at in your life, we oftentimes as humans, all of us, we want to we want to belong to something, whether it's a group yeah. or a club or a family or a friendship. And that's because we're seeking that human connection. And sometimes we compromise parts of ourselves to belong, right? And and that to fit in, which is not really a form of belonging, which we spoke about earlier. And I think If you're worried about the opinions of the people that are around you in the real world, well, first and foremost, I think it's a sign that you need to start investing in other relationships because if you can't be uniquely yourself, it's not the right fit. And sometimes friend breakups are like romantic breakups and it's just not the right fit. You evolve and you grow. Mm -hmm. And so go find that thing that lights you up in the world and go find other people that love to do it too. I always say that. Like when I was lost in my life, I found something I loved. I moved to Los Angeles. I knew no one. And I was like, I'm going to find people that like doing this too. And it worked. But I think for family, that's a completely different conversation, right? Like friends come and go. For some people, it's their chosen families. But, you know, our family is our moms. Like I've dealt with this even like posting things online or doing things that people that I love haven't accepted. And I think that having hard conversations are the things they can ultimately radically transform relationships because oftentimes we build up in our own minds that other people have these opinions of us that sometimes aren't even true. So, you know, Mm. aside from going to meet new friends and building your own thing, like identify your own insecurities and how that might be perpetuating these false ideas in your head and then address them. Mm, That's the sweet spot, isn't it? Learning what's an insecurity and what's anxiety. That's like the age-old question that a lot of people just can't because you never know is it your intuition am I picking up on some cues here that perhaps my conscious brain isn't seeing but my subconscious brain is or is this a past wound enacting itself in a situation that has nothing to do with it and I'm just projecting onto it I mean Um, we do that all the time I mean there's so many moments where I'm like oh my god this person didn't respond to my email what if they think this this and that and it's like they were just busy. They'll get back in a couple of days, you know? And that's like Mm. my insecurity of anxious attachment that's driving that idea in my, all aspects of my life, whether it be professional, romantic, et cetera, which, you know, that's why we have therapy and what we work through, but our life is just a series of patterns. And sometimes we have to break them and sometimes we have to form them. I didn't think about uh, attachment styles in relation to social media. I wonder if people with an anxious attachment style have that uh, deeper 
deeper seated need to search for validation on social media. And I wonder how avoidant attached people interact with social media. That, I wonder if there's a difference that's there. A, that's a fascinating thing to unpack that I would love to do a study on at half the story. Yeah. Social media is just a digital manifestation of human relationships. So I think yes. many of the things that you know, you see whether avoidant or anxious, those sort of patterns will reveal themselves again, just through that format, just as those patterns reveal themselves in these different relationships that we have in our life. So, you know, that's why doing the work, it's like, we all have to do the work and we have to go back to that work. We can't distract ourselves from the work because otherwise Mm. we'll never break the cycles. Yeah. Well, Gloria Steinem said that she was a codependent to the world and I never related to anything more. You know, I'm here talking about this fire I have inside of me to change the world and all this stuff. She said she felt so deeply everything going on around her. And I love that she used codependency, which is, you know, a bit like attachment styles. It's it's talking about relationships uh, in relation to her work and her activism, because I think you could probably also be codependent to social media validation. You know, it is an emotional addiction. Hmm. So yeah, I think that would be really interesting to wow. explore. codependent to the world. Oh, she's so powerful. I know. I know. Man, I feel Okay, that way. sorry. One last question. Okay. How do I approach a friend who seems to be obsessed with their image on Instagram in a really unhealthy way? Oh, wow. This comes up. Mm. This comes up all the time. I don't think I'd know what to say. Well, it's all about what's driving that, right? And, and I think depending on where you're at in your life, it's hard to identify what that is. At this point in my life, if I saw a friend that was doing that, I would be able to sort of understand what that underlying reason is. Is it because they just broke up with someone and they want to have a partner and they want to look really cool and sexy and like that's why they're obsessed? Or is it because they don't feel like they belong to something, someone or a community and they want to create this world that that attracts other people, right? And so sort of getting to the root of that cause. And it's very natural for humans to be reactionary, like we spoke about. But the most powerful thing to do in that situation is to listen instead of speak. And if you want to have a conversation with your friend, make it more about, don't point fingers, but make it more about the way that you feel. So for example, if I came to you and I was like, look, Florence, I just want to let you know, I came over to your house the other weekend. I love spending time with you and you're one of the most amazing people in the world. But I just want to share that it made me feel upset that you were on your technology a lot and it made me feel like I did something wrong or that I'm not good enough for you. And this is coming from a place of how I feel. And I just kind of want to understand why you felt the need to prioritize your digital identity over our friendship, because it's something that I've just been struggling with and I wanted to bring up. Mm. And that way you're not saying you're obsessed with this. Why are you obsessed with this? Yes. But you're able the to- accusation. Yeah, you don't want to accuse, but that way you can speak to your emotions. Are you okay? Yeah, and just what's say, going on? you know, what's, yeah, what's, what's happening? Because I'm here for you. And, you know, because oftentimes when you're angry, you want to be like, well, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you showing up for me? Yeah. Why aren't you doing that? But like, to your point, it's like, I feel this way and are you okay because this isn't like you or this wasn't you a year Mm. ago? I think we're so used to now also because of our connections over the past two years have been digital. We're so used to being able to just exit a conversation that I think maybe these conversations are now becoming harder to have with our friends because uh, if something's uncomfortable, it's becoming easier to not only distract ourselves with literally anything we want, uh, but also we do it online. So yeah, it's like, 
conflict. I just cannot. I read oh. so many books on conflict resolution and it's just, it's completely changed the game to the point where I'll, I'll like resolve something with a friend and they're like, what the fuck? I've never done something like that in my life. And it's radical now to actually communicate oh, your feelings to your I friends. Mean, social media built fuels conflict not conflict resolution and passive aggression yeah, like passive aggression i mean let's just look at cancel culture right like so much of what was born in cancel culture was really born because people were not able to ex- have conflict resolution and to have hard conversations I have wanted to talk about social media and the way that we interact with it for so long. I find it so fascinating, especially someone who's grown a career and used Instagram particularly as my springboard to talk about the things I care about. Um, It's even set me up with the ability to do this podcast show and reach so many of you. So to be able to talk about it with someone who is so well versed in the subject was incredible. I loved what uh, Lars was saying about adopting all of these habits with social media, going on a digital detox. Um, I'm probably gonna have a little look through my following list later. I've definitely used and abused the hell out of the mute button. That has definitely saved me so much mental energy. It's definitely helped clear my space because I do spend a lot of my time online. So I wanna give another big thank you to Lars today for joining me on the show and to all of you for listening. And if you want to find out more about Lars and her work, you can follow her on Instagram at livinglikelars with a Z on Instagram and also at half the story. And a massive thank you to the fucking incredible Black Honey who composed the original theme music for my podcast. You can find them on Instagram at blackhoneyuk and check out their latest album called Written and Directed. To keep yourself updated with all the latest episodes as they drop, you can follow exactly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please take the time to rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a review. It really does help people to find us and make sure that the people who need to hear these conversations do. This is a podcast from something else. My producer is Millie Charles. My assistant producer is Ella McLeod. Executive producer is Carly Mail. Production coordinator is Lily Hambly. And I want to give a special thanks to our engineers, Jay Beale, Josh Gibbs, and mixing engineer, Gully Lawrence Tickle. And additional production from Chris Skinner and Teddy Riley. 